All right, guys, let's get started. And let's get Mr. Dominic in here. Which is where we actually got started in this, but we have a killer stuff to talk to you guys about today. Dominic's gonna be helping. <clears throat> Dominic's gonna be helping. Good morning, guys. Chatting about, uh, okay, he joined. This is always good. Yeah. Uh, Dominic's sure. gonna be chatting about some stuff. We're gonna answer your tax questions from last week, and we are officially live, so let's do this. Um, we are, this is the Make More, Keep More podcast ig live i'm not really sure what we're calling this show now we'll, fi we'll show figure it out show um yeah it's the show we gotta have some intro music so we need to chat with somebody about that we're getting some real intro music here um but today we are going to be chatting about again how to make more and how to keep more of your money dominic is the make more although i like to pipe in i'm the keep more although he likes to pipe in and so um, we got some great information for you guys. So, Dominic, I hogged the show last week talking about taxes and paying less taxes and things you need to know. So today it's your turn to chat first about how they can make more. So, yeah. uh, Dominic, what's on your mind here? So we were talking last week about what's the what's the one thing that I'm seeing right now. So. It's really interesting. I so I you know as you know I coach a lot of businesses and work with people on how to create more sales and drive their business forward and all that good stuff. And my favorite people are those people who uh, think they're not salespeople. But here's what I'm seeing right now. I was doing some research for for one of my customers and their salespeople and stuff. And be pre-pandemic. So pre-pandemic, it took on average for you to like get a hold of somebody and get them to agree to an appointment. I uh, hate Tom's on. Um, for them to agree to meet with you for an appointment, it took somewhere between like six and eight follow-ups. So like you, you know, you reach out once, you call somebody, you try a couple times, it took six or eight of those times. Here's the interesting thing. It, on average, most sales reps did no more than two follow-ups. Like just, that's it. That was, they did, they finished. They, they didn't even get a hold of somebody technically. And then they wonder why they had to, you know, make so many phone calls. And during the pandemic, so in 2020, 2020 and then 2021, the number jumped to 18 follow-ups to get somebody on the phone. So holy which, cow. Or to get them to meet with you. Yeah, <laughs> they're right? working so, from home. By the way, I gotta give a shout out. Hey Chloe, it's good to see you, sweetie. I hope you're doing good. Okay, keep going. Nice. And my and my wife, Ivana, just delivered a little, little espresso over here to the desk too. Uh so yeah, so here's the big thing that people are missing right now. And, and it's interesting. I talked to a guy. He runs a call team actually to, to talk to people like you. So he goes purely after financial advisors. That's his entire thing. So he has, I think, five people on his outbound sales team. And he was like, dude, no, these guys aren't making enough phone calls. They're not. They're not. I'm trying to get them to do 50, uh, you know, 100 new people a day that they're reaching out to. And I'm not seeing a conversion. I was like, here, just try one thing for me. Get them to reach out to 10, but make sure they do 18 follow-ups. His sales in that month went up 53%. Whoa. Like, big jumps, right? Whoa. So most people, if you're listening to this right now, if you're like, well, I'm not really like a big fan of sales and I'm not, that's not my jam. You're thinking, well, 18 follow-ups sucks. Here's the other side of the equation. Remember how I told you most people followed up twice when it was required six to eight. Now the stat is sales reps are following up no more than once. Like, and this just happened. I have a client, they do about $50 million a year. They're trying to do this promotion right now for something. It's a luxury brand. They were like, okay, can we ha we'll have our you know SDR, like inside salesperson, do some calls. That person, she sent me an email and was like, all right, I'm done. And I was like, what do you mean you're done? She's like, well, I called everybody on the list. And everybody, uh, I talked <laughs> to two people. Can I go home? <laughs> yeah, I talked to two people and I left like 20 some odd voicemails. I'm like, okay. okay. And, now and she was like, what do you mean now? Do you have another list? And I'm like, no, I'll start following up those people. So she sent me literally just before I dialed into this. She goes, all right, I'm done again. She called all of them one more time. Oh my God. But this is an example. And she's a great lady. Don't get me wrong. Like she is, she's brilliant. But this is exactly what's going wrong for most people. They're not even trying. And even if you don't get to 18, for the love of all that's holy, do at least five. Well, like, just try. And so 
And so let me ask you a question, Dominic. Does that mean it has to be for any business owner trying to generate sales? Because I think that's also a mistake. If you have any sort of business, side hustle, anything, you are a business owner and you are responsible for driving sales. So is there a way to turn around and do that? Like, is it all calls or should it be an email follow-up or anything like that? Yeah, so, doing this. Whoa, great point. Like, there we go. So there was a there was a really good um, uh, statistic that was done, a study that was done on this, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, like the specific number, but it was massive. Is what it, it was called? If you went with a multi-channel approach, your your thoughts went up like fifty-seven percent or sixty-three percent, something like that. Your follow your your results, excuse me, went up by sixty-seven. Sorry, I read the. What are your thoughts? And I said thoughts. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, A B E one C. I love these. Uh, I love these handles. Uh, so, <laughs> or is that just made me old when I called it a handle? Uh, so <laughs> the uh, so the best way to go is to you know email then maybe a phone call and a lot of businesses now especially people who are like if you're, you're you're instagram heavy if you're into this stuff you're probably i'm not gonna make an assumption a lot of people are out more of a digital type space business um and so they really literally started those because they don't want to make phone calls i would encourage you still put those in there but it could be a text message if you get a text you know get somebody's phone number text them uh email them i've got a follow-up for instance i had a call with a lady last week um and you know why sent her an email my next thing, I was purposely delaying connecting with her on LinkedIn because that gives me another follow-up opportunity. Mm. And then I'll just, lo and behold, find her on Facebook too and then connect with her there and send her a messenger message, right? And so it's that multi-channel approach. If you're really getting into hardcore sales, one of the things that guy did that I just mentioned that, that with his call team is they started to go old school and send some mailers. Now he did some fun little things with like sending like little toy soldiers and some, some things like hit, what if you had an army behind you? Like he just looked like little stuff. <laughs> but and it's corny. <laughs> right, right. It's but corny. Remember it. But people remember it. And that's yeah. that stuff where if you get into your sales reps doing that. So the interesting thing here's uh and and I forget what with A B E one C whatever asked me about what do you think about follow-up after the sale? I think was the question. I apologize, I can scroll back up. But yeah, hundred percent. Here's the thing. I actually just did a post on this, um, or my team did a post on this to be honest with you, was around the idea of like, if you really want to turn people into advocates, which is a big part of what I teach is like, how do you get people to refer you? It is really more about what you do after they buy than it is on the front end. But all of that really does totally. start from the very, very beginning. But if so, if you're that persistent with somebody, think about it for a second. Like if you're not annoying, but you're persistent, which is a fine line, but if you're persistent, and it's a service-based business, for instance, like you're a marketing agency or you're a financial advisor or you're whatever, you know, whatever your service-based business is, somebody's in the back of their head, whether they consciously think of it or not, are going like, man, this dude follows up or this lady follows up, right? Like I can count on them to stay focused. So right, follow-up plays in a huge piece into everything else. And, and it doesn't have to be crazy. Like you don't have to go nuts, but just make it meaningful. Hey. I found you on LinkedIn. So excited. I read a couple of your articles. I really like that. Or I, I, you know, interact with a post, comment, even the comment that you make on somebody's post on LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever you're, wherever you're at is technically an basically a, a form of follow-up. So it doesn't sound like that much. I'll tell you something really interesting on this going back 25 years ago, Dominic. Um, as you know, I spent a lot of money on Dan Kennedy and learning from Dan Kennedy, and he's one of the most influential people in my business. By the way, for those of you guys just joining, this is the Make More and Keep More podcast. Sadly, if you had joined it at the beginning, you did. there is no intro music. It's just a sad little start. We're going to fix that. We need some heavy <laughs> old school metal. By the way, did you see my story I posted right before this, Dominic? No. I did it while sitting at a red light. And I'm like, me and Dominic, we're going to talk about the Make More, Keep More podcast. And Rocky Like a Hurricane was playing on the radio. And I'm so lazy, I didn't even turn it down. And so oh, I yeah. went there. I literally said, and yes, we will rock you like a hurricane. Oh, okay. That's good to know. <laughs> oh, thanks, folks. I'm here all week. <laughs> but here's the thing that Dan said, and this goes back 25 years, which is if you're going into break, like breaking into a new space, he even recommended like an old, there was no internet when all this was being discussed, by the way, like it, there was, but nobody used it or had heard of it. 
And he was like, yeah, if you want to dominate your space, he's like, you, he recommended a three letter sequence to your potential clients, old school stamp on paper and a postcard over a pretty short period of time that talked about what they wanted. So it wasn't boring, like in the financial services, I would never talk about the M1 money rates. I would talk about the stuff I talk about. How do you pay more or less, less than taxes to stick it to the man? How do you make that money last longer? How do you grow it in a tax-free environment or at least a tax-advantaged environment? And so he's like, what happens is over that short period of time, you have now very cheaply and effectively imprinted yourself in top of consciousness. They may not have that need at that moment, but if you continue to follow up at some point, they, they, if the need ever shifts to where they need what you have, now you are at top of consciousness and you're the person that they reach out to. And that tip 25 years ago totally kept me from having to go get a real job when I went out on my own. I, actually, I think it was more like 27 years ago. It kept me from having to go get a real job for my entire life because right. I would absolutely be 100% unemployable. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to wear a mask and I have to be nice to the people around me, but right. I don't want to do that. And I stayed till 11 o'clock last night, but you're mad at me because I was three minutes late this morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not good at that. So yeah. what else do you, what else do you got for you. today, D? Yeah, no, I mean, again, you're right, staying top of mind. I used to use an analogy with my sales reps. And look, not everybody loves this one. Uh, but, but I'm just going to go with it anyway. I mean, I went, I covered herpes last week, so we're just going to go with, with another analogy this week. Um, I know I have to bring it back, but look, sales is, we got a syphilis analogy today. (laughs) Maybe an AIDS analogy. I'm going to the animal kingdom, animal kingdom today, animal kingdom today. Look, running sales is a little bit like being a vulture. Like there is an element of this now, so bear with me for a second because Jesus, vultures man, are opportunistic. Really? I know. Here we go. Here we go. This is what you said. We're gonna bring the we're gonna bring the fire today. We're gonna rock we're gonna you keep like a classy. Today. Yeah, for sure. Well, oh, look, I'm a sales guy. When, when do you ever know your sales guys to be classy? Uh, so, but here's the thing. Like, ultimately, uh, you know, vultures are sort of opportunistic, right? They float around, look for something that, that changes. And here's the thing. You're. I saw actually a post. Somebody else said this the other day too, and and I'm actually happy to see somebody else saying it is see when you're selling you're really not selling your product in fact you're never selling your product you're selling change because they're doing something currently today and then they're going to do something differently after they buy from you you are selling change you know i don't care what product you're selling you're selling change now if i were to pull everybody on here which would be actually fun there's just a little bit of a delay but like okay actually let's try this let's take a whack at this one since it's you know it's episode four if you're listening right now, put in the comments, do you like change? If I were just to ask you, do you like change? So, Ron, do you like change? Um, no. No? Okay. <laughs> you probably just skewed all the comments into, into that. Was but, I supposed to say yes? Look, man. No, no, no. Sorry, no it's all good. Good. <laughs> so, here's the thing. No, I see. There we go. There we, got some, we got some comments coming in. When you go into like, especially like a room full of salespeople or a room full of entrepreneurs, if I ask that, like I've literally taught the, this concept in front of probably six to 8,000 sales rep, right? And it depends on the change for the better, right? If somebody sometimes, those are good, those are common comments. If I'm in a room full of entrepreneurs, you go, hey, do you, do you like change? Oh, I'll, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I love change. Change is great. I mean, I have good sake. Then I'll follow up that question. Okay. Do you, like change if, do you like change if it's forced upon you? Nobody does. You just said, like, I don't want to wear a mask and be nice to people because that's being forced upon you, right? That was a lot of the reason. I'm not trying to make this political. That's a lot of the resistance to, to masks. It just changed something different. It's not what we're used to. And, and whatever, regardless if you're leaning on the, the whole mask issue, it's changed. It's always hard to do something when it's forced upon you. When a client's meeting with us, we are essentially trying to force them into change. That, that's essentially what we're doing. And so we have to m- mirror everything to that. So that's why I use the vulture analogy is that a lot of times when it comes to us, why sales start to go our way is because something changed materially. There's a great quote by a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud that said, change rarely occurs until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. 
So I think he I, was. The, I think he was the same guy that said something along the lines of like, "Price is an issue when value remains a mystery." Yeah, I think was that are. the same guy. Who I think so. That? Yeah, it's real. You guys burned that one in your brains because yeah. that's a good one. And so. and so when you think about that, like you know, those sales that come to you are pretty easy because somebody I used to work in payroll, for instance, years ago, like and ran sales teams in the payroll industry, and they would go. Somebody would be like, oh, my God, I hate ADP. We got to change. Well, easy. Much easier to make that change versus somebody who's like, you call them up, hey, do you want to change over to our system? Eh, hey, things are going pretty well right now. That's that right. change, right? Thing. So to your point of staying in the top of their consciousness, if you don't do that through your follow-up, through your content, like posting on social media, staying up on, if you're on Instagram, you know, staying in the stories and staying on reels and and doing that, if you're not posting, you know, two, three times a week in LinkedIn, YouTube's optimized for at least once a week. Like all of these content engines help you stay top of the mind, which is sort of that vulture thing. Because then you're hovering around. And then when something does go, then bam, we're ready to go. Right. So to me, that is that's a lot of that where people lapse on this is you're not going to feel that right away. You're not going to see that. It's not like post one story, post one reel, make sales. It's weeks upon weeks upon weeks. So I tell this story a lot. I've generated, I've generated at this point, I'd have to redo the numbers, but last I counted it probably a year or so ago, it was about $600,000 I've generated off of LinkedIn. But that was 72 weeks straight of doing something, which I called my weekly mashup. Like it was a week, I did it here too, actually, but posted weekly videos. It was 22 weeks before anybody said they watched a single one of my videos. And that was my brother-in-law. Like, I love it. That didn't help. Like, it hey, doesn't... The, hey, but did you lie? No. No. So, you know, but actually in week 31, somebody in my, who had been like my person, like type of person, week 31 was like, dude, that was pretty awesome. Then, then the week 33 or week 36 or something, and then I sold my first deal, which was like 25 grand a month in a retainer. So you, you look at, it just takes, that's that, always top of consciousness so dan kennedy i mean shocker knew what he was talking about when he talked about get your stream consciousness right Dan was a smart cat by the way if you youngins have never read dan kennedy before you're in for a treat he's funny um his old speeches are great you know he's not he's i don't know how old he is now somewhere (laughs) north of 60 less than death um somewhere in there, <laughs> barely but, barely yeah <laughs> um hey for those of you guys that are turning it tuning in just now just so you guys know what you're watching this is the make more keep more podcast dominic has generated a ridiculous hey nick ridiculous amount of sales over his career um and is the trainer for digital marketer i am a uh, tax professional as well as financial advisor so i'm the keep more and uh, we let Dominic go first today because um, I hogged basically the entire show last week. It we is really taxi season after all. In the word edgewise. And by the way, Kyria Coast, who asked a question about the Roth IRA, we are going to get to that. But I wanted to let D have his time today. So, yeah, we're going to um, get to some questions too. There were some leftover questions, which uh, Ivana, my wife, so I think, idea you, was to start this. Do we you have, have any? Um, do you have any? Any other comments for him, or was that good? I don't want to cut into your time. No, man, I'm good. I'm good. I just wanted to get. So, look, if you guys have sales questions, make sure you're asking them. If you have something in the chat, well, if we don't get to it today, we write all these down and we get to them on a future day, or I'll shoot some follow up video. One more thing. One more thing at you guys. I would bet money that every single person on this call knows who Gary V is, right? Now, I first heard Gary V speak back in 2010 at one of Yannick Silver's events. And um, I'd never heard of him before. I had no idea who the guy was. And he was great, you know, foul mouth and hilarious and wanting to buy the Jets for some sick reason. God only knows why. <laughs> if you're going to buy a football team, you want the Jets. But anyway, I can think of really about 28 other teams that I would rather buy first out of the 32 <laughs> other than the Jets. But what everybody may or may not remember because I don't follow Gary, like I kind of know, okay, I know what Gary's going to say for the most part, but that guy did a wine library episode a day for years before anybody paid attention to him. And had he given up after a few episodes, none of us would know who he is. 
Yeah. Um, and he certainly be, wouldn't be worth the gajillions of dollars that he is right now. And the author of the books and all that other stuff. Yeah, so, I believe um, he said, because one of my friends, uh, you know Marcus too, uh, Marcus Murphy. One of my friends is yeah, pretty close to pretty tight with him. And uh, I think he told Marcus, and I think he may have even done some content on this, that he produced over a thousand videos before he saw a dollar in return. Yeah. And I mean, that's the way, you know, that's kind of how it went. And I've watched a few of those. I think the best one was when he was reviewing all the Charles Shaw wines. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, this one tastes like dirty socks. And then he was doing another one, like, what wines go the best with breakfast cereals? That was freaking hilarious. And if you even think about it, poor Gary at the time was probably like, nobody cares when I talk about all these fine wines. Yeah. And then I talk about the Charles Shaw, and everyone's like, yeah, man. Or, you know what? What wine does go with Lucky Charms the day yeah. after, on this day after St. Patrick's Day? Everybody wants like, to man, anything. Out. I did an article that actually got picked up by actually Digital Marketer. They did a blog on this the other day, but like the I did a con some content on this topic of what's what's better, quantity versus quality. And most people will go like, "Oh, I want quality." I mean, I set it up on purpose, but it's like, "Oh, I want I want quality. Quality is better than quantity." And the reality is, is you got to have both. So the real answer is you need sustainability. So you actually would kind of vary that scale of your follow-up and your content and anything that you're doing to generate money. And again, what you said earlier, if you own a business, whether you want to identify as this or not, you're a salesperson. Like you are, you have to, you're responsible for Good, money man. coming into the business. Yeah, nothing, so, happen, nothing happens until some money changes hands or a contract absolutely. is fine. Or, or my favorite uh, favorite expression from an old mentor of mine is revenue is the best deodorant. Because when you're bringing men money, it doesn't stink, right? So, <laughs> so that's the thing is you got to bring in the money so it doesn't stink, which is actually an interesting uh, piece to this is one of the things I think we wanted to talk about. People were pretty excited about it last week uh, coming into this was you were talking about the risk if you still want to talk about this, is the risk of pulling money from your business. And we were talking a little bit about that, that obviously the risk goes down a little bit, the more uh, money that you want to bring in, right? Or the money that you can bring in. So I don't know, do you want to still, uh, want to still cover that, that topic on risk of pulling out? Is that what I... Is that what I was said we were going to talk about? Man, I have that's but that. we can talk about anything, man. This is our show. Um, so oh, hey, first of all, first of all, I missed a question. Hold on one second. Hold so on. Yeah, we got a question in the comments about Roth IRA versus traditional four hundred one k for a twenty five year old. Okay. So let me answer that one first because that is a Perfect. great question and it kind of leads into the point. And I think where where we were going with this as we transition from the make more portion of the podcast to the keep more is if you are successful, taxes will be your number one expense over your lifetime. I mean, even your kids eventually hopefully move out and are no longer <laughs> on the payroll on the, um, and, and my little vegan hippie, she'll graduate in May. And, um, you know, but I had, I got a 30 year old next month. And um, so kids are expensive, but eventually they move out and, and hopefully move off the payroll as opposed to taxes, which never go away. Right. And I've seen someone posting in the comments about crashing the dollar with universal income and all those sorts of things. But, but really, you know, our Congress going back to the beginning of time has never met a dollar of yours that they didn't like and want to spend for themselves um, on their projects. And so you owe it to yourself to really get savvy about taxes, learn how they work, even if you're working with a professional, because a lot of times the professionals don't take care of you, you know, and, and a lot of accountants in the space are really more like tax preparers, not tax planners. Mm -hmm. So um, the question someone wrote um, was, what about a... Roth IRA versus a 401k for a 25-year-old. So first of all, every situation is unique. So a 25-year-old making 200000 a year versus a 25-year-old making 75000 a year, those are going to be possibly different answers. But since most people, more people make 75000 and 50000 than 200000 the answer that I would say is, number one, fund your 401k up to any free money that they give you. Number one, and then 
put the rest in a Roth 401 or a Roth IRA. And the reason is the way they get taxed. So just real quickly, on a 401k, you are, number one, giving up your access to the money for all intents and purposes for the next 35 years, Mr. or Miss 25-year-old. Um, so you are cutting off access. And the number one thing that screws everybody is they don't have access to capital. And Fidelity just did a study that showed that one in five millennials and gen um whatever comes before or after that not gen xers but the rest like the younger generation one in five cashed in their 401ks because they could do it without paying the penalty right. so the government comes in and makes you this deal you know that we will not tax you on this money now but the problem with the deal is you're not saving taxes you literally on a 401k do not save one dollar of tax you delay paying the tax or postpone paying the tax and you postpone the calculation of the tax and the government does not want you later to pay them tax on the money that you deferred or postponed they want you to pay them tax on what you deferred or postponed and everything it made over the next 35 years so kill this trying to go all right are we still good here i'm trying to oh this is what i'm doing wrong for curious underscore ch10 a roth ira you put it in with after-tax dollars but then all of your income comes out tax-free down the road so i would absolutely say again if you need to put money in a 401k for any of you listening to this and yes there are exceptions if you're in a super high bracket now or a high tax state, and you know you're gonna to move to a lower tax state. But um, by the way, for raw proof, we do these every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, and they're on my feed, and we gotta figure out how to get them over to Dominic's feed afterwards at Real Biz Advisors. But thank you so much for the kind words. We, we I think, Dominic, I, I speak for myself, but possibly you, these are kind of fun, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Right. We're actually going to, you know, Dominic gonna... brought up herpes last week. We're going to talk about syphilis next week and, yeah, and AIDS the week after as it relates to sales. Um, but anyway, back uh, we to are going to, real quick, we're going to download these two just so everybody knows. We're going to get figure out a way to get these up. We, uh, we have, uh, we're going to get these all loaded up on a website too, so you can guys get past episodes if you want and all that good stuff. So totally. that's all in, all in, the, all in the works. Yeah. So, so back to that. So that's kind of a generic rule of thumb. 401k up to the match and um, Roth IRA or 7702 plan. We'll go into that another day um, for the difference and some of that access. And then somebody wrote a message about what is an alternative to a 529 that's out of today's conversation that will absolutely, hey, Alessandra, um, that will absolutely, I will cover that next week. So come back next week or just go to the feed after the show's over and we'll go through and post it. Okay. Um, so anyway, and we'll eventually get these to a website and Apple or Spotify or wherever. I don't know. What was the original we'll question, Dominic, that I was supposed <laughs> to talk about? Uh, I forgot already. No, uh, it was, uh, you were talking about um, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the risk of, of pulling money from your business um and then we were obviously trying to we were talking about like obviously that risk reduces a little bit as you as you make more money it helps um i do want to ask, answer one real quick question this is just take a second but some of you if you're into sales a b e or a maybe maybe that's it a one c team dude i don't know it's gotta be a <laughs> all right well you know it's just, you're, you're watching this live little 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 silly uh so uh he asked a question about crm so going back to the sales question here's the thing i have an unpopular opinion about this one i know for a fact you can run a million dollar a year business off an excel spreadsheet or google sheets whatever your preference is that what i hate to see is a lot of businesses they they tend to buy crms uh too early because it feels cool um and they tend to get really expensive so the more successful you are uh they have sort of a 
like an inverse relationship with how much money you end up paying. And usually they can't, so you get into a CRM system, it doesn't do enough on its own. So then you have to buy an email system to go with it. And then you have to buy another system to do another piece of it. And then you're spending all your time on integrations and all that stuff. So I'm a huge fan of HubSpot for smaller businesses. Um, I've got a couple of my clients on that one. Big fan of that one. If you're for, for like the smaller, like, and by smaller, I mean like one to $5 million uh, companies, you can run up probably a $30, $40 million company on that. Anything above that, you're probably going to look at Salesforce customization. Another good one's close.io. That's, that's a lot cheaper. Um, but yeah, CRM, try to avoid that as long as you can because it just tends to generate even more money issues. And that's not good for your overall profitability. I'd rather see you spend that money on other stuff. But it's not uncommon to see somebody like a, a solo person paying $1,000 a month for their CRM plus email plus everything, you know, plus, plus, plus stuff. And that, dude, that adds up, as you know, Ron. And the, you know, the totally. tax write-off for that, there is a tax write-off for that. But from what I understand, that's not necessarily a good one from a banking perspective. So. All right. Oh, uh, we got an imposter on the account. Ron. Yeah, I just underscore. Like, yeah. F you, man. <laughs> F you that and the horse you rode in on douchebag. I got all these imposters, so I would love to know where they live, but then I would be in jail. So um, anyway, um, let's, um, all right, let's moving right along. Yeah, what I think right we along. should do, Dominic, is next time, why don't we start with kind of the idea of extracting money from the business just so we can get to some of the other questions that we had. And let's yeah, start talking I about got a few places. Of those. Because the biggest one, the biggest one, I'll say this, and again, this is the make more, keep more podcast show, whatever we want to call it, with sadly no intro music yet. Although, you know what? We can get the rights to rock you like a hurricane. I feel inspired. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, we have on the, the, there really is, as a business owner, if you guys are watching this or with a side hustler as an executive, one of the biggest things that I see that we will talk about as the shows progress is really managing risk. Mm -hmm. And if you are self-employed or really if you're employed by somebody else, you have a lot of risk um, already via your business or, you know, maybe a lack of job security in a new economy. And so we really want to talk about how do you manage that risk? Because the number one thing that I see after people paying too much in taxes, because they're just outsourcing it to someone that may not be, really doing what they think they're doing. The other one is I see way too many people taking way too much risk. And I'll give you a perfect example. We have a client in here who is ready to quit her job at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. uh, it was over a vaccine issue. She really didn't want it. They were forcing it on her. And she ultimately decided she was going to get a vaccine and keep the job. But we were in a point where we were a week and a half away from her leave, potentially leaving her job. And her asset allocation mix was 85% risk, 15% in safe. Now she has a she has a pension from her job and a couple of other things. But here's the problem. She's that close to, to leaving, potentially. Now we're going to extend it out about three more years. And her statement, because of what's going on with the market right now, just lost 20% of its value over the last few weeks. And that's a risk she should never have changed. And one of the words, good morning, Brennan, my kid's on. Hello, Bear. Mm. I'm, I'm wearing your Northeastern shirt in your honor, B. So I hope you're feeling better. All right, back to business. So anyway, so... That is something to think about. And even what, what the misconception, Dominic, is, is that as a younger person, you can take all that risk because you have tons of time to make it back. Right. And the answer is a loss is a loss is a loss. We want to minimize those and protect against them as much as possible. And um, because you never, a colleague of mine once said it this way, you never recapture a loss, you only recoup it. Now it sounded real deep at the time, and I'm repeating it. I have no idea what the hell he was actually talking about. <laughs> but here's the way I mean it is those dollars are lost, and yes, you can eventually get them back, but we lose all that time in between. And we actually had a situation where 
you know, we had a 10 year period where if you started the beginning of 2000 with $100,000 in your account, we had two big crashes in there. You ended 10 years later with about 95,000 in your account. It was called the lost decade. So just keep in mind that in future shows, we will discuss risk and risk management, but sound financial principles do not change. Yes, they may modify as, as you age and get closer to retirement, but you should be paying attention to risk as a 25-year-old, as a 30-year-old, as a 35-year-old, especially if you're hustling because you always want to have some capital that you can lay your hands on that isn't subject to the right. winds of the crypto, real estate, or stock market. Because when those markets drop, you want to have some money to pounce and you know, ape in and buy into those markets and make a, make a killing. That's what the wealthy are doing is they're always keeping some cash on the sidelines. And we'll talk about where do you park that cash? How do you do it in a tax-free environment and not get a 0.01% rate of return, but get an actual real return on that money, but access to capital, both as a business owner and not as a business owner is the number one thing. And it's the number one thing that screws everybody. People go dump all their money into 401k, and then they turn around, which they can't touch for 20, 30, 40 years without massive taxes and penalties and having to leave their job. And um, then they turn around and put extra on their house because Dave Ramsey told them to, because, well, you don't want to be a debt. A debt is, you know, uh, uh, the debtor is slave to the lender. And um, Robert, I'll get to that in a moment, by the way, Robert Dot Mortgage. And if that is, in fact, your last name, that's a hell of a last name. I hope you are in the mortgage business. But they don't realize that, hey, if you're amassing capital and you can ultimately pay cash for your mortgage, you are not a slave to the lender the way that some people might make it. Um, so anyway, we will jump on that more. I do want to get to some questions, but first... I do well, want to get to Robert Mortgage's question. If, first of all, there are two types of insurance. If we're talking about term insurance, I absolutely, if you have a family or anybody who depends on you or any obligations whatsoever, you should absolutely, most people are heavily underinsured, heavily, heavily, heavily underinsured. And then also it would shock a lot of people to realize that if it is set up properly, Cash value life insurance has a lot of features that a lot of people would want. They just don't know about this. And somebody asks, Co-Adi, sorry, Co-Adi, like, look, man, I don't know. Uh, we're calling it a show because this is, in fact, our fourth episode. And right now, three of those episodes, to include this one and after we're done, are on my Instagram page. We'll eventually get them over to Real Biz Advisors on Dominic's page, and we'll eventually strip them off and throw them on a website. And I think, now I might be biased here, I think it's a fantastic show all about making more. That's Dominic, keeping more, paying less taxes. That's me. So um, anyway, let's get to those questions, shall we, D? Yeah. So I'll go back to one that was actually asked a little bit earlier. Was Somebody asked, it, I, sorry, I didn't catch who, but asked about the question about like how often should you meet with your financial advisor? And I think it's really interesting to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I'll tell you this, and you know this too, because look, if it's, if it's uh, the, the more that we do, the more revenue we bring in and the, and the better we do as a business. And, and personally, I feel like the more that I want to talk to my financial advisor, like at this point, I mean, shoot, I called you, you, you are one of my financial advisors, obviously. Um, and I called you when I was going to buy a watch. Whoa, like, whoa, how do whoa. I work? You cheat and you talk to other advisors? Well, you this is pre you being my 100% financial advisor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know, over, like, I'm pushing delete right now. <laughs> I'm blocking you. Uh, uh, so the, the, uh, you know, the, you look at the, when we bought a car, I'm calling my financial advisor to find out how to structure that. Like, wait, hey, should I do this through the business? Should I buy it personally? It's this many pounds. What does this count? You know, like virtually every decent sized purchase at this point, I feel like I talked to, I talked to my prior financial advisor, or now I talk to you exclusively, obviously. <laughs> uh, but whatever, whatever, you know, 
everything that, that happens, you know, if, whether it's a, Hey, should we refinance? Should we do this? Should we do any of those questions? And so I think the, the, and, and I wish I had done that more, even when we weren't as successful, right? You know what I mean? Like if we'd had some of that advice, I could have saved a lot of money for, um, so you can't, you can't underestimate, I guess what I'm getting to, you can't underestimate how valuable your financial advisor is if they know what the heck they're talking about. But to Ron's point, are they a tax preparer or are they helping you plan? Yeah. And like I said, our firm does both because we got frustrated, like a lot of people with the, well, I don't know, man, you'll have to talk to your tax guy on that. Well, I don't know, man, you should talk to your finance guy on that. And I'm like, why are you guys separate? We bring it in house. But right. I do want to answer one other statement on that. Um, and someone asked me what province I'm from, by the way. They don't care about you, Dominic, but they care about me. <laughs> we are both California natives. Dominic lives up in the um, L.A. area. I got out years ago, which is funny because I'm from L.A. and he's from San Diego. He moved up to L.A. and I moved down to San Diego County um, years ago. Um, but one of the things that we always tell our clients, and I put it in almost every newsletter I send out. I did not put it in the weekly newsletter this morning that I emailed out at like 7.15 this morning. Um, and if you guys want on that, just send me a message with your email address. You get it once a week. You might occasionally get an update or two, but um, you don't get spam or anything weird like that. And we keep it. We don't tell it to anybody. But um, my tagline, Dominic, for 30 years has been, tell me what you're thinking of doing. Don't tell me what you just did. That right. applies on the tax side. That applies on the finance side. So I would say a couple times a year, you guys should be going over stuff. But absolutely, anytime you make a decision of any sort, you know, buying a house, refinancing a mortgage, buying a car, you should be talking to your tax and or finance person because that's how they help you make the best decisions. So I'll have clients call me from the car dealership. And like, did you have to freaking, like, you didn't know you were going to go to the car dealership. You're calling me at seven o'clock at night and they're like, should I buy? Should I lease? Like, I'm in love. Give me five minutes. Let me run the math for you in your situation. Yeah. Let me pull up your file on my phone real quickly. So I would say, tell them what you're thinking of doing. Do not tell them what you just did. Yeah. Um, I had a, a question for you real quickly, and then let's get to some of these other questions. What Abe wanted to know, do you follow a 10-step sales process? Before you answer that, I will tell you in my firm, we actually have a, a 10 steps that we go through with every client whether they're a tax client and we're onboarding them or a financial client or both, we go through 10 steps. Bye-bye, whoever said, have a good day. Thank you so much. Um, so we have a process that we go through every time. Yeah. Um, Dominic, how, how would you answer that? Yeah, for sure you have to have a sales process. It varies a little bit by who I'm working with and, and you know designing it for a client or you know whatever. It depends a little bit, but yeah, it's anywhere from six to nine steps is usually what I see. Uh, it's just, it's really meant to keep you on track. Like clients tend, you know, what is that? Uh, what is, what's the Mike Tyson quote? Like everybody has a plan so they get punched in the face. Like, oh, what is a Mike Tyson quote? Yeah, you know, and it's too, such a great one. Uh, I mean, I think the classier version I is, my... you know, uh, you know, no there... uh, battle plan stands the first test of, you know, the enemy or whatever. But like, Dominic, That's on this thing. show, on this show, we don't do the classier version. We roll, okay, we yes, roll, we'll keep it. we just roll, <laughs> we roll. Yeah. So, uh, so dirty. yeah, I think you have to follow it because what happens is, is you get into a client and if you don't have a process, then they dictate where you go. So you're in a prospect, they, they punch you in the face and now they've taken control of it. If you don't know how to come back from that and go back to your plan and keep on going down the process. So yeah, you have to have a process varies a little bit. We structure those. I create those for people all the time, just depending on their buyer persona and, and a bunch of that type of stuff. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but six to nine steps is pretty average. Um, yeah, I'll just some of these questions from last Let's week. Let's go to some of the questions. All right, so. See if you guys can stump me. Let's yeah, go. I like it. There we go. Thank there we go, speaking of uh, Iron Mike, you in your Rocky boat. Right. Um, <laughs> so there were a couple of questions, like they, they kind of had the same type of theme last week was, if I start a business, because one of the things, just to recap for those of you who are just joining in, last week, one of the topics we talked about on the Make More, Keep More show was this idea of the number one 
tax break you can have is owning a small business, right? And so literally the number one in the code. And by the way, very closely to whoever asked the question, and this was not my quote, this is Ed Slot's quote. He's the number one IRA expert in America. And his quote is, the, he says the number one break in the tax code is the exemptions given to properly structured cash value life insurance. And tellingly enough, the number one IRA expert in America, he's written books, he's got a PBS special, he has zero dollars in his IRA. That should tell you something. He's like, yeah, I'll show you guys my statement. And the newbies in the room always fall for it, right? Whenever he's speaking, oh, I'd like to see your statement. And he's like, yeah, here it is, blank sheet of paper. I have zero in him, and he's got his reasons. So anyway, right. carry on, Dominic. Yeah, so so that was one of the talk about, and we were talking about like having to build this big, big old business. We talked about I ran an eBay business for a while, like you know, picking up stuff at garage sales. You can write stuff off for that for stuff that you probably totally. would have done anyway. Totally. And and it honestly, it's kind of fun. So. If you really seriously want to, t- I mean, I literally turned it into like with very little work, maybe, I don't know, three, four hours a week into a $5,000 a month business. If you guys want to know how to do that, just hit me up. I'll happily share. Um, no strings attached to that. Just happily share. It's fun. Uh, but what the questions were, does a business need to show a profit in any year? And then somebody said, if I got a W-2 and start a business, but that business isn't profitable. Because I, I know personally, I'm kind of curious about this question, that I've always understood that if you don't show profit after a while, then the IRS basically will shut you down. So do you, okay. is there a thing around that? Like, how long do you have to, like, how do I have to show that? Okay, so those are great questions. So first of all, if you look at a tax return, and when you guys are done, your homework is to pull up a 1040 and a Schedule 1 and a Schedule C. So the government and its infinite wisdom, whenever they go through to um, simplify anything, it always ends up with more paperwork, right? So they tried to simplify the return and get it down to one page, and then it ended up back to two, and then they added another schedule, it's a mess. But basically what happens is on the first line, your income from W-2 goes. Then a couple lines down, any gains or losses from your side hustle, small business, anything go there, those came from Schedule C over here, which is just a pro- sole entrepreneur, profit and loss. Ed Slot, by the way, who for whoever asked, who was the IRA expert just mentioned. So Schedule C is where you put all that in. All right. Then it goes to Schedule 1. Just the number gets transferred over. Then it gets transferred over the 1040. And again, that was supposedly going to simplify things. So... <laughs> What many accounts, so first of all, those losses, if there are losses, go against your ordinary income. Now, the reason I say losses like that is you can have a business where, like Dominic was saying, you're going to garage sales on the weekend and you work for IBM, if they even are still around, um, and, you're those guys, and you've got a you've got a car that you're already making a payment on and a cell phone that you're already paying for and your your house you're already paying if you live indoors you're already paying for that you can take those dollars and now a portion of them become a tax deduction to that business so again we're not even talking about going out and getting a separate office or anything that would get cost you more money we're just talking about taking stuff that you're already spending money on that you don't get to deduct and moving it over to a return where you do get a deduct a portion of it and saving that differential. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so on that, what many people quote as law or fact is the three out of five year rule. And what it's what they say it says, which is not what it actually says, is you can't lose money more than three out of five years or the IRS will disallow your business. Well, let me give you a couple of businesses that we would all agree are real businesses that have lost money for way more than three out of five years. Number one, airlines. A lot of airlines <laughs> went years in debt. And Amtrak. Amtrak's lost money since, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. Amtrak's lost money for, I don't think they've ever made money. And no one's going to argue. Right. They have employees, they have a union, they have these you know, tracks, they've got these chains. Um, and so... What it is, is the average business, 80% of businesses fail in the first three years, right? Uh, 
particularly the restaurant business. It's a brutal business to get into. Um, Marketing a lot agencies. Of overhead, a, lot, a lot of things. So 80% of the businesses fail in the first three years. Of the 80 that remain, another 80 of them tend to fall, falter in the remaining two years. So what the IRS says is, look, basically for the first three years, we're expecting you to lose money. So we're not really going to pay a lot of attention. And it doesn't matter if it's a small home-based business or you start a restaurant or a little store or a marketing agency or whatever it is. Most businesses, there's a ramp-up period. And so they're like, right, we will give you all of these deductions. Likely your business is not going to make it. Now, if you do what Dominic talked about following up, marketing, those sorts of things, your business is much more likely to survive because people just get frustrated and give up and don't market um, and don't follow up and do all those things. Then they're like, hey, after three years, if we we know that your business, if you're surviving that long, should at some point be starting to make some money. So we just reserve the right to come in and treat it like a hobby if you're not showing us that you really are trying to make money so basically think of it this way it's like three years to figure it out and on that beyond that point we're going to start examining this so let me give you a perfect example dominic if you decide you want to be a photographer and you write off two trips a year to hawaii and one trip a year to europe to take photos right for your photography business Man, I love seeing people's handles as they come across the, the, to the screen. <laughs> Gary, yeah, they're awesome. One? Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> unless it's one of my imposter accounts, and then I want to fight. Um, anyway, <laughs> so um, it's all good. Love it, the way you spell it. Anyway, back to business for a moment. Stop being distracted, Ron. So if you took all these trips to Europe and you were writing them all off, and you've been doing this for five years and you've never sold one of your photos or done anything on it, then the IRS is going to be like, Dominic, where's your website? And you're like, I don't have one. And you're, they're like, okay, where have you attempted to sell these? Well, I haven't. The IRS is going to be right. That's a hobby. We're disallowing some of these deductions. But on the other hand, if you were turning around and you were Here's my website. Here's where I posted. I have made some sales. Some of these in images are being sold on Getty images. Some of them are over here. Now, all of a sudden, that's a totally legit. And the IRS is like, all right, you're treating it like a business. Mm -hmm. So, again, you can lose money much longer than that. Now, what I would say is, okay, wait. If we're really doing it as a tax write-off with no intention of making money, Let's just close that business down three or four years in and let's just try something different because you might actually make some money on it at some point. And the irony is when you're not trying to make money in the business, it's way easier to make money than, right. than if you have a gun pressed against your head and you're not going to make next month's rent if you don't sell something. So, um, so that's kind of the reality versus what a lot of accountants parrot. And look, let's face it, most accountants do not get into business because they like risk. They like everything neat and clean and don't like necessarily pushing the envelope. Our feeling is, and the whole premise of the show is, hey, man, we're, we want to talk about everything that you are entitled to. And if the IRS says you can take it, we're taking it. And if the IRS says you can take it, or at least we think they say you can take it, we're likely going to take that too. Now, in practice, we'll explain it like, hey, man, there's no rulings on this, but this is why we think you can do it, you know. And of course, that's tax planning, which is right. totally different than just making stuff up, which is what gets people in trouble. So, so it sounds more like the issue would come is if you're showing like on the, you know, income side, you show zero and then you want to take a bunch of write-offs after year three. That's really kind of the issue. But if you show some decent income kind of coming sure. in, the IRS is like, all right, you're taking a shot at it. Yeah. And even if they ask about it, there's nothing really to be worried about. It's like, look, man, I'm trying. If you guys got any suggestions of how to make, you know, make this go profitable. <laughs> right. You guys want to hire a photographer up here. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had, we stayed up at a, um, at a winery lake on their property in my buddy's trailer. And we ran into a guy who was a San Diego city police officer, super cool guy. And he had a photography business on the, on the side. And he's like, oh yeah, I got to stop writing it off. Um, my accountant says I can't do it. And we started chatting over whiskey one night. 
and we're just like, wait, why is he saying that? Because he was telling me like, oh yeah, you know, you can look me up. I'm on Getty Images. I'm here. I'm there. I'm here. I'm there. And what he would do is he would travel like, he would go up into Canada and fight bears and literally fight bears, you know, like be hiding from them and then put like long exposure photos out. Uh, and his work was amazing. I mean, he was super talented. But he's like, yeah, it's not next, it's not yet profitable. I'm like, you can keep writing that off till the end of time yeah. because we can show that you this is not a hobby. This is serious. This is serious business. It's just you know, it's a hard way to make a living as a photographer. So, what other questions yeah. do we have? By the way, for all the newbies joining, we love having you guys. We started about 55 minutes ago, and we talk about really all things money on this show. Um, and we're technically calling it a show, even though we don't have intro music yet, but we're going to get some, but this will be posted on my Instagram. You can go back and watch it, but it's all things about making more money and keeping more money. So now we're into just answering questions from last week, but, um, or the week before, but what else do we have? Any other questions we need to get to today? Uh, so funny, right? Yeah, uh, this one I actually don't know how to phrase it because it seems a little, uh, no offense to whoever asked this, but I don't quite understand it, but it's something, there's a two-member S-Corp LLC, I feel like they might have mixed that one up a little bit, have to pay a 16% employment tax. I think this was related to um, if you have to pay an employment tax, if you're maybe possibly if you're sitting there paying your kids, because that was one of those ones last week that kind of blew, I think, blew people's minds is like, put your kids on payroll right off 12 grand a year. So yep. it seems to be some questions still flowing in about that. Okay, cool. Um, so let's go. We're getting now. We're getting a lot of questions, and I know we don't want to do this. Yeah, somebody help me get some. We need we need Rocky like a hurricane, or we can consult it. We thought about Biggie's, um, you know, more Biggie, money, more problems, yeah. but we need to get problems. Biggie's people mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. So let's fire through some of this. Um, and, and Ivana, if you can keep track of these questions, because we'll just start out with some of these questions next time if Dominic says it's okay, because these are really good questions that I don't yeah, think we'll are. get to today. But um, let's go back with the one. When you go to pay your kids to avoid self-employment tax on them, it either needs to be a contract, meaning not ongoing work, or you need to pay them from a sole proprietorship or a partnership where both parents are the owners. You don't want to pay them from a corporation because a corporation is separate from you. So it is no longer considered the parents. And by the way, next week, I'm going to dive deep into S versus C corporation, Gary Gunshow one. And um, so just come back next week because it's a little longer conversation than we have time yep. for now. And by the way, I totally hope Gary Gun Show 1 has huge biceps, and that's the gun show. Like, ladies, welcome to the gun show. That would be awesome. But if you are, in fact, a, a gun dealer or something like that, that's equally awesome. So um, anyway, but you want to pay them from the sole proprietorship or this the, the partnership. The real reason, and this is a big myth, we're going to pick up starting with this next time. You do not need a corporation for these write-offs. Corporations, write this one down, they're not for tax savings. They are not tax savings vehicles. They are protection vehicles so you don't get sued. And they're designed to either multiply ownership if you have multiple owners, or they're designed to protect your personal assets from lawsuits. You can run a sole proprietorship up to a certain level with and take all the write-offs that a corporation can take. There is no difference. The only real difference gets into a C corporation where you can start retaining earnings or moving them one year to the next, or an S corp where you can take a portion in salary and then not pay the self-employment tax on it the amount above that and we'll get into that next time there might even be some charts and graphs maybe a stick man involved but i will tell you a hilarious story about a brand new client of mine that just started with us yesterday and the stupid 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 advice his accountant that he was paying a small fortune to gave him it was the dumbest shit i'd heard in a long time and i'm like he did not say that he's <laughs> like yes he did and i'm like oh my God, dude, you're killing me. And he's like, why do you think I'm here? And I'm like, 
fair point. All right. But all this guy sucks at his job. So we will talk about that next time. Are there any other questions for today that we want to have? Or if not, next time we're going to get into the corporate structure, how to maximize your write-offs and why you don't necessarily need a corporation to begin with. And I'll actually remember yeah. that because I'm going to write it down. Nice. Uh, yeah, I think there's – well, the only one I don't think we can answer this week, but we can lead off with this next week. It actually is a holdover from two weeks ago um, is we were talking about just how much money there is in this world uh, that people can actually make. Uh, you know, like the, 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 there is – there seems to be – like we all want to be in a tax problem ultimately. Like, right, we want to need – I think for most small business owners – uh, I'm even obviously working with you. You've spoken to my group before, um, my mastermind group and stuff. And they're like, oh, man, I want to get to a point where I need Ron. Well, that actually comes a lot sooner than you think it does. But there is this question of like, how do we know that there's plenty of money to go around? So that was that was actually a holdover question I'd like to kind of dig into. We can and you know, we can even open up with that one that next week just as like a quick thing, because I think there's kind of some cool things around just there is money to be had. Everyone on here has the opportunity if you're in your sphere of genius doing the thing that you love and really enjoying yourself, I don't see any reason why you can't have a business that's doing $500,000 a year. Now, some of you could do a million dollars a year, but percentage wise, that's a pretty small group that you could be making, taking home a quarter of a million dollars a year with a decent idea because there is that much money out there. And we, hey, Jake, we do need to chat about mindset. Because yes. there is something, thank you so much, Winsbrit22. Um, we love having you on here. Um, it would be really sad and lonely, Dominic, if it was just us. We'd have a great time. Yes, Scary Gun Show. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah. So anyway, but but I think we, we've got a good show for next week, Dominic, yep. where we will dive a little deeper into all of that. And really, rather than trying to cover some new ground, we'll go back over some of this. But there are ways that you can train your mind to really be more accepting. Um, and a lot of us, a lot of us are, look, I had the greatest parents on the planet. I really did. My parents, if you guys are old enough to know this reference, were literally Warden Gene Cleaver. My dad loved my mom. They stayed married. You know, they, they. I remember one fight they had growing up when I was in fifth grade. They didn't fight. Um, my mom loved my dad until he was, you know, and right up until he died. My mom still loves my dad, you know. But even with great parents, we all still get taught things that mess our minds up, yeah. particularly in this economy. Think of the phrase hard-earned money. Money doesn't grow on trees. We get that kind of pounded in our head like, oh, this is hard-earned money. I mean, one guy, Dan Kennedy said this. A lot of us keep our money all hidden away, and we keep our bills out in plain sight, which constantly is like, oh, I got these bills. Oh, I got these bills. Dan's like, he literally is like, I put all these things around to remind me that I'm successful and all these sorts of things, and I keep my bills like jammed in the bottom drawer so my mind is constantly thinking abundance and all that. So we can dive into that deep. Were yeah, there any other sure. quick questions that we have that we should get to? If not, we've got a great show lined up for next yep. week for you guys. We're going to talk about abundance, corporation. Dominic will come up with some, you know, new thing for herpes and vultures, I'm sure, to keep it clean. Oh, you know, they're not always that bad. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. And we're so, promising we're going to get into watches. I see the Monaco today. It's a nice, nice representation. We That's will. A, it's a good looking watch. I just got my uh, my Kermit back from Rolex. Got it ser serviced the nice. other day. So we got we to get into the watch discussions yeah. uh, on those things. No, I think we got a great show coming up next week. We will work on getting these up to a place. So hopefully, maybe even by next week, we'll have some announcements from you guys where you can find some of these past episodes and and get some of that. But I think yeah, covering a couple of, some of those mindset things are huge. And uh, yeah, we can answer that. We can, we can, um, we'll chat well, about that's actually, can you actually do that? One of us is attorney of setting up the LLC for you guys, but I can give you a way if just show up next week, I'll tell you exactly how to do it for a few hundred bucks and when, when you can do it online and when you need to hire an attorney. So we'll get into that as well. So, and then we'll talk about, about, since you, we're going to talk about your dad too, uh, you know, and the lovely man that he was and how much I loved him until he stole my dinner. We'll have to sell that. <laughs> that would be, stole my dinner. You know and what, ate it, but that was, he that if was you awesome. left your phone laying around, he would have stole that too. <laughs> my dad, yeah. my dad had Alzheimer's towards the end and he was a full on kleptomaniac. I would take him <laughs> out to Starbucks 
and I'd have to like, you know, take him out. And I could see him like, I'm somebody else's Frappuccino. And um, he'd, uh, he'd, I'd be like, I'd see him looking and I, I'd kind of like run interference and I'd see him die for it. I'd be like, no, pull him away. And then the <laughs> other funny thing, he always, my dad was a really good man and he always loved kids. So, right. So when he began to lose his mind, He'd see a baby and he'd be like, I love children. I love to touch the children. And they're like, no, he doesn't like to touch children. Like, he's crazy. And they'd be like, you know, occasionally they'd be like, oh, okay. And occasionally he'd be like, whoa. And they're like, no, no, not like that. Not like that. Poor guy. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. All right. Uh, wonderful man. For today, Dominic? Yeah, I think we're rocking, man. Appreciate Perfect. it. Thanks, everybody, for joining on. We'll be back here at 8 a.m. Pacific next week doing the same and thing. And we're actually going to have a production meeting earlier in the week, Monday or yes. Tuesday, to chat about what we're going to chat about. So we yes. will see you guys then rather than just showing up and letting it rip. So um, we will see you guys next week, 8 a.m. Pacific, daylight time, right here. And we will look forward to seeing you guys. Take care, y'all. All right. Thanks, everybody.